Who gets creeped out by that every time? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's the thing I think about when I go to bed at night. That's why I can't sleep. Uh, welcome. Uh, I'm so grateful that you're here today. Uh, I'll tell you, my name is Steve Cunningham. I, I get to be the, the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. Grateful for that. I'll tell you today, I'm so grateful for all the volunteers, the people, uh, our partners here at Wellhouse, who, I mean, I tell you what, uh, of all the churches that I've been uh, privileged to be a part of, man, the uh, the nature of service here at Wellhouse is so deep. Uh, I, I'm just going to let you in on some behind-the-scenes stuff real quick. All right, you ready for this? So uh, this week we had some people that that normally kind of help set up on, on Saturday nights. They they try to prep almost everything in here that that you get to experience on a on a Sunday morning. They come in like 10:30 at night on a Saturday night every Saturday night to set up. God bless. I can't even think about a chair. Yeah. I can't even think about a chair on a Saturday night, and here they are doing those things. So they weren't able to this week, some out of town, all those kinds of things. Uh, and then we, we have uh, some folks, our crew, who, who uh, weren't, they weren't sure if they were going to be able to make it this morning. They, also, they, they do a large bulk of things, making sure it's all ready on a Saturday, uh, Sunday morning. They weren't sure, but we had so many people who stepped up. We're like, you know what? I'll show up early. I'll do what it takes. And uh, I'll tell you what. After working uh, with with all those people this morning to make sure everything was ready for you, I so much appreciate our partners who week in and week out. Because by like eight thirty this morning, I was doing the flop sweats. I mean, it was just it was like some of y'all do not want to get too close to me today after setting up. But it's so grateful. Listen, I'm so grateful for uh, the ways in which. Our people here serve. I love. We had a we had a box. I'll tell you, we have a box of, of stuff from Mi Esperanza. Uh, so real quick, if you haven't done this yet, take out your phone. It's okay in church. Take out your phone. You won't get in trouble unless you're doing it during the sermon. Then I'll call you. Out. I'm kidding. I won't do that. Uh, take out your phone and check in using the hashtag A Day for Good. And the reason why we do that is because for every check in, uh, we donate money to a, a group called Mi Esperanza. Mi Esperanza is dedicated to helping women, impoverished women in Honduras, see a better life for themselves and see a better life for their family. Uh, and so we're committed to that. And one of the ways you can do that is just simply by checking in and use the hashtag a day for good. We count those hashtags when people check in and we donate money through there. But here's another way you can do it, okay? So Chris mentioned uh, holidays are coming up. And in the back, uh, another thank you to our partners who are always willing to jump in and serve. This week, I got a shipment of stuff from uh, the things that they, they teach the women to make so that they can live a better life for themselves. So they make this stuff there. There's this is a bracelet, I think. I've never worn one, but it looks like that's what it is. And and a handbag and there's all kinds of jewelry, things like that there. You can purchase those already this morning. We weren't prepared to start selling those. They just showed up and I didn't know. But some of our partners were like I'm jumping in. I will take care of it. Wonderful. You guys have already raised over $400 this morning for me Esperanza through that. So, thank you. Um 
my wife and I are flying out tomorrow morning to Honduras, and we're going to be visiting Mi Esperanza while we're there. So please be in prayer for that as we travel. Uh, we're looking forward to that time and coming back with you and sharing some things that we've done there. So I uh, appreciate that. We're wrapping up today uh, our series uh, called Haunted. And uh, over the last several weeks together, we've walked through some kind of scary topics, right? I mean, we talked about depression and, uh, and, and how do we respond to that? And maybe you've been a part of a church before and it was like, you know, if you have more faith, if you would just pray a little harder, you wouldn't be depressed, but you, you, you tried to have more faith and you tried to pray a little harder and nothing happened, you know, and so you're like, all right, well, what's wrong with me? And maybe that felt like, or maybe the result of that was distance between yourself and God or distance between yourself and church. And so we walked through that. We walked through regret and living with regret. We walked through resentment from the past and how do we deal with that? We walked through addiction uh, and what that looks like. And also last week we walked through uh, the scary subject of doubt and Truth be told, we all, including myself, have doubts from time to time. In fact, this is what we said. It's more natural to doubt than it is to have faith. And if we can just be honest about that, you know, it's a good starting point for us. Because what we saw, what we saw from last week is even the disciples, the, the people who got to spend the most time with Jesus here on the earth, as they walked with him, they saw him do all the miracles, right? They watched him die. Then they, then they saw his resurrected body. It even says Thomas, he, he got to feel the, the nail scars in Jesus' hand, put his hand in, in his side, right? And, and as Jesus gets ready to ascend to heaven, he pulls them all together. He's going to give them the final instruction. All right, listen, everything's on you now, right? Go and make disciples and, and teach them everything I've taught you, baptize them. It says they came together and they worshiped them, but some of them, if you were here last week, some of them did what? They doubted. Some of them doubted. And still, and still, Jesus said, you're the ones for me. So doubt doesn't count you out. Doubt doesn't count you out. So if you have doubts in your faith walk, if you have doubts about God, if you have doubts about the church, I want you to know that is normal, right? That's a normal thing. In fact, that's natural for us, right? And we can be honest about those things and walk through those things together. So if you haven't joined us prior to those times, you may have missed a couple of times, jump back online, check those out. I pray they're a benefit to you. But today we're going to wrap up this whole series with one last talk. And here's what I want you to do before we jump into the subject. I, I want you to turn to your neighbor, seriously, and say, get ready. All right? So go ahead. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Because today, <laughs> today, I need you, I need you to get ready. Because here's the thing. The thing I'm going to talk about today is something that so, we so quickly and so easily tune out and dismiss. Okay? We so quickly, so easily tune out and dismiss. And, and you don't have to say who this is. In fact, for some of you, you're sitting beside the person. So I would, I would probably tell you, don't say who it is in your life. But for some of us, there's somebody who talks, and they'll say stuff. And as soon as they start to say stuff, you kind of like tune them out, right? And some of you are thinking, I know exactly who that is, right? You're sitting beside them. Today, this topic is so easy for us to tune out. 
And there's a couple of reasons why. The topic today we're going to talk about is sin. And you already said get ready. I may have tricked you into that, but I want you to hang with me. There's a couple of obstacles. I just want to be honest with with us today, that there's a couple of obstacles in the way of talking about sin, and I think we need to address those before we address how we become haunted by sin. The first thing is this, that the word sin itself feels archaic and churchy. The word sin itself feels archaic and churchy to us. Now, Think about this, right? Those of you who grew up in the church, you remember the flannel board stories, right? Uh, you know a lot of the stories, especially from the New Testament. You'll remember a story uh, called the prodigal son, right? And if you remember the story well, the, the young son, he takes everything that he's supposed to get from the father, but before the father dies, right, his share of the inheritance, he goes off, he squanders it, right, and, and wild living. We don't really know what that is, but we know it's not good, right? And then he comes comes to his senses eventually, right? And then he decides that he's going to go back and he's going to talk to his father. And so he starts rehearsing the speech in his head. And here's what's interesting about it. You know, in his speech, he says, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Now, here's what I know does not happen in my house. Maybe it happens in your house. I don't know. But if I tell my kids, hey, listen, it's time to go clean your room. It's, having, it's got like a funk smell to it. And you need to get, you know, kind of get on that, kind of tame it down just a little bit. And then they go to their room for a while and they come out and, and I say, did you clean your room? And they say, yes, I did. But then I go in there and I check and they didn't. And I have that conversation. You know what they're not going to say to me? Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy. To... No. We don't use that word, right? That's not a common word that we, you would never tell your spouse, right? You had an argument and eventually after a few days or a few weeks or some of you who are really stuck, a few months and you finally come around and you say, you might say, I apologize or you might say, I'm sorry I hurt you, but you would never say, I sinned against you. Because, for some reason, the word sin just sounds churchy. It sounds archaic. It sounds old school. It sounds irrelevant to where we are and who we are and what we do. So it's an obstacle. Listen, we just need to acknowledge it's an obstacle when we talk about sin as a topic. The second thing is that this, that we often opt out of the word sin to use another term that implies less personal responsibility. Ouch. Right? Man, it's easier for me to say, listen, uh, babe, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. That was my, I will often say that. Oh, that's my bad. That's my bad. Right? As if somehow I can somehow say something that's, that takes away a personal responsibility from me. Because here's what we know about sin, right? A mistake is something that happens when you did not know better. Right? So if I'm driving somewhere, I'm driving down the road, and it's my first time, I've never been there before, and I make a wrong turn, right, that's a mistake. But if on the 10th time I'm driving there, and I turn the wrong way intentionally, that's not a mistake anymore, right? 
I mean, I kind of know better. There's something, there's a heavier word for that. But oftentimes, man, we want to opt out for something that shows us less, uh, less personal responsibility. See, we like to be mistakers. Man, I made a mistake. It's my bad. It won't happen again. Man, I made the same mistake again. Man, that's my bad. I made another mistake. That's, yeah, that's my bad. But there's something different between a mistake and a sin. And because we love to take less personal responsibility sometimes for our actions, man, sin is such a hard topic to talk about. Another reason why sin is hard to talk about is our society help, helps give us uh, great arguments for why sin isn't really sin. It's so, all of a sudden the crowd's like, ooh, uh, should we talk about that? Is that okay? Are you going to die afterwards? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, man, our society has helped us and coming up with really great arguments why it's not a sin. Hey, listen, it's just, it's just a, listen, is your wife not treating you with respect the way that you should be treated? Because if so, man, to, I totally get it. I totally understand why you would have that affair. Totally understand. Listen, listen, I, I totally get why you would take that money. Hardships happen. Hardships happen. I totally get it. Man, I totally understand why you're so angry all the time. Listen, you, you, you've been through a lot of stress in the last few years, so it's, it's okay if you come unhinged every once in a while. If I was in your shoes, it would happen that way too. We have tons of great arguments, and we're provided those. We're, we're fed those things often on why sin isn't actually a sin. Another obstacle to addressing sin, man, there's a ton of them. And let's be honest for a minute, sin is fun, all right? Say it with me, sin is fun, or otherwise you wouldn't do it. Listen, if sin felt like going to the, the uh, dentist and getting a root canal, ain't none of us have a problem with sin, right? I mean, we would all be like, listen, I avoid that like the plague. The problem is, is that sin, at least for a minute, feels good. Right? When you let go of your anger, when you went down that road, when you texted that person, man, it felt good for a minute. And so there's this something that releases in our body. In fact, that what we've been able to find out scientifically is that when we sin, there's a release of dopamine in our brains that helps our body feel good for a moment. But if you're honest with yourself afterwards, a short time or maybe sometimes a day or two afterwards, you're like, why did I do that again? You get caught in this cycle that we've talked about a couple of times through this series. Paul describes, man, why did I do that? I know I shouldn't have done that. I didn't want to do that, but here I am again, and I did it again. And I don't know why. Why am I caught up in this cycle? It's because sin is fun, at least for a little while. Another reason is generational sin becomes normalized. Generational sin becomes normalized. I come from, a, 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 especially on my dad's side of the family, uh, they're all like, these huge people, right? Humongous hands, big, big folks, right? I'm kind of the, I'm one of the runts. My dad's a runt in his family. I'm the runt. 
uh, that takes out him. But, you know, some of y'all are like, you're the runt? Oh, boy. Uh, so that's true. Uh, they're, big, they're big folks. And so what I found myself, listen, what I found myself saying over time is that's just the way my family's made. Now, that's my story, but my guess is that you have a story that you say about your family that just becomes normalized. Well, the reason why I fly off the hinges the way I do is because, I mean, that's just how my family is, right? That's just the way we discuss things in our household is we just kind of pop off and we'll tell people, you know, how it is. And then we cool down later and it's all okay. See, we begin to normalize generational sin. Some of you, you you've get gotten caught in generational sin that looks like alcohol abuse. And as far back as you can tell, there's been a problem in your family and it's become normalized. So it's no longer a sin, it's just something that's normal to my family. And it's hard to address something that's become normalized. The last thing that I have for us today is, again, there's a lot of issues in addressing sin, is that vicious cycles from the past can make the future look hopeless. Vicious cycles from the past can make the future look hopeless, and therefore, it's just easier not to talk about it. It's easier not to address it because it's like, man, I've tried. Listen, Steve, you don't even know. I have tried over and over and over and over and over and over again. And no matter what I've done, it's there. And so I just think it's something I have to live with. And I don't want to call it sin anymore because it just, now it just feels like a rut. And I don't know how to get out of it. And that's because sin can become a stronghold in our life. And that's what I want to talk about today. Honestly, it's, it's one of the things that haunts us, right? If you are normal, right? Some of you are like, I'm far from normal. You may fit in this category too, and that's okay. But for those of us who are the average person, we eventually will find ourselves in a place where sin has set up residency as a stronghold in our life. In fact, Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 3. If you want to flip on over or scroll on over there, man, I love I love this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, this is what he says. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. Would you read that with me? If you have your Bible open, you have your uh, either on, on your Bible app or whatever it is, would you read that with me? Here we go again. For though we live in the world, now hold on, you're not with me. I'll give you a second. Maybe I went too fast for you. You ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3. If you got it, say got it. All right, now we're there. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Here we go. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war, war as the world does. Jeez, it would help if I could read, wouldn't it? <laughs> Folks, how many times do you find yourself waging war the way that the world does? 
Man, it's so easy to get sucked into that, isn't it? And Paul has to remind us, no, 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 no. Yeah, we live in the world, but we're not going to wage war the same way that the world does. And he continues on. He says, the weapons that we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, this is what our weapons have. This is how we fight our battles. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. They have power to demolish strongholds. Say it with me. They have power to demolish strongholds. One more time. They have power to demolish strongholds. See, some of you are saying it, but you do not believe that. Because you have fought the same battle over and over and over again, you've accepted and normalized that this is just going to be your struggle from here on out. And it's haunted you, and it's haunted you, and it's haunted you, and you've accepted that every time you open that door, it's going to be right there for you. And Paul says, no, 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 no. See, we don't wage war that way. We have a different system, and let me tell you about our system. It has the power to demolish a stronghold in your life. Yeah, but I've been wrestling with this same thing since I was 12 years old, and now I'm 62. I've been wrestling with this thing more than half my life. It has the power to demolish strongholds. Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sells itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We hold every argument, we hold every thought, and we hold it up in the relevance of the glory of Christ, and we say, does this fit what you want for my life, or do I need to change that thought? See, maybe it's our thinking on those things. When we begin to normalize it, when we get to say, listen, I've tried, and God says, yep, you have tried. Now it's time for you to stop trying and you to give it over to me. Because me in your life, well, I got the power to demolish every stronghold. And that sounds nice. But you know, and I know, (laughs) that overcoming sin is hard. And there's a reason. There's a few reasons behind it, in fact. Number one, as, as Paul points out, is that we are indeed in a war. I don't know if you knew this this morning when you woke up, but somebody had already been thinking about you. Somebody had already been kind of planning about you. Somebody already saw your busy week, your overwhelming schedule. They saw your weaknesses. They saw that you were kind of already on the surface of kind of losing your cool today. And so they were already planning out things. They already saw your vulnerabilities. So they began to think about ways to tempt you more. So you fall right back into the pattern of where you were before. I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of you have a fairly good imagination? Three people. Cool. This is going to be harder than I thought. (laughs) I was hoping for at least half, but okay. (laughs) Uh, uh, Preaching is fun sometimes. All right, here we go. 
try to use the imagination that God gave you. All right, here we go. You are with your family this Thanksgiving or whoever else you gather with. And this year, this year, they brought a new person in the family. It's a youngster. Maybe there's already youngsters in your family. And they're like three years old. And so the three-year-old during, during the time inside, you know, it's kind of chaotic. And so you decide to go outside with the three-year-old, and you're throwing the ball with them back and forth, and it's a ton of fun. And then somebody comes out, and you're talking to them, and you're catching up about how life has been since the last time you got together, even though you don't really remember them, and they're some kind of cousin, and you're just trying to banter back and forth to make conversation because it's awkward. And you're playing back and forth, you're playing back and forth, you're playing back and forth, and you get so wrapped up in this conversation that all of a sudden out of the corner of your eye, you realize that the three-year-old's not there anymore. So you look around and you discover that the three-year-old has wandered out into the street, and then you notice that there's a, a young teenage driver who's not necessarily paying attention, and they're barreling down the road. What is your next thing you do? You scream, right? You yell out with everything you can. Some of you might freeze on the spot. Some of you might dart out for them. But you're going to do everything you can do to raise awareness that there's danger. And see, what I want to do today, but I don't know exactly how to do in your life just yet, but I'm going to try my very best, is that I need you to know that you are in danger. That Satan wants to normalize sin in your life, so you'll just forget about it. He wants to normalize experiences in your life. He wants to normalize this idea that he would even be interested in you, in your life, so everything's okay. But what I need you to know is one of the obstacles or, or one of the things of overcoming sin in your life is you have to beware. You have an enemy that wants to bury you and your future. You married? He wants to bury that. You have a relationship with your kids? Oh, man, he wants to bury that. You have any kind of peace or joy in your life? Man, he wants to bury that. You have healthy friendships? He wants to bury that. See, he wants to, as we read in the Scripture, right, New Testament, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. That's his mission. Genesis chapter 3, listen to the words that happen here. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent, this is, this is, we're talking about the devil, we're talking about Satan here. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He's crafty. He's slick. He knows how to present things to where they just don't seem like they're that dangerous at all. The past, I don't know, 15, 20-ish years as I've been able to, to work with people and counsel with people, most of the time they find themselves in a really bad place. They didn't ever say like, I, well, I woke up one day and it was like, you know what? I'm going to put myself in some terrible places today. Never happens that way. It's so slow. It's so, get this, crafty. Have you ever been fishing before? 
Raise your hand. There we go. That's what I thought the numbers would be before. I grew up, I grew up fishing. I grew up fishing. Um, and there we go. Perfect. Uh, I love to fish. There's some, I don't even have to catch one just to enjoy my time out. There is a huge honk of spider on that thing. All right, there we go. We got him. All right. <clears throat> Momentary, not there. All right, here we go. Uh, those of you who haven't gone, let me describe how you go fishing. You might go by yourself or with somebody else, and you're going to go out. Uh, if you have to fish from the bank, that's fine. You might want to fish from a boat. And you're going to get out onto the boat. You're going to go out into the water where you think the fish might be, right? And then you're going to look down into the water. And you're going to call out in a loud voice, hey, fish, we are here. We, in a minute, are going to throw out a line with a hook in it. It's going to look super appealing. You're going to want to bite that thing. And as soon as you do, I'm going to jerk on it. It's going to pull that hook through your jaw or maybe your gill. And I'm going to pull you up on my boat. And when I do, if you're still alive, I might club you on the head. <laughs> I'm going to throw you into my ice chest. Later, when I get you home, I'm going to fillet you. You probably won't feel it because I clubbed you on the head and put you in ice. Later, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Later, I'm going to fry you up and eat you. You ready? Okay, that's not how it happens. It happens like this. Imagine you're a fish for a moment. And you see this thing going through the water. Some of you aren't that amazed, but a fish would be like, oh my. <laughs> Sweet Lord Jesus, look at that. I have got to get me some of that. See, if instead we just drop this down and we said, bite it, bite it quick. What happens? Oh, nothing, right? Because that's really easy. Like the fish are like, come on, dude, at least try. But this sure looks nice. See, and once you've bitten, well, then you're hooked. See, the serpent is more crafty than to say, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you what, I, I'm going to tell you what to do. All right, this is what's going to happen is I'm going to put this person in your path. And then it's, and then, and then when you, when you make that text, when you make that call, when you let your anger come out, when you start that first sip, when you take that first puff, whenever you look at you, you open up your screen on your computer and you search out, then I got you hooked. 
And I'm going to ruin the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years of your life. I'm going to take every hope you have and flush it down the drain. I'm going to take every marriage you have. I'm going to take your kids away from you. I'm going to club you and throw you in my boat, and you will have no hope. See, if he did that, we would all be like, yeah, peace out, man. Nobody floats it in front of us in some kind of dangly way that's like, you know, that looks good. It's probably not that dangerous. And so I'll go, I'll go for it. So the first step in overcoming sin is that you have to be aware that you're in a spiritual battle. The second thing is this, that you have to immerse yourself. Say this word with me, immerse. Oh, let's try harder, church. Immerse, there we go. Immerse ourselves in the message of the gospel. Would you be real with yourself for a minute? What do you immerse yourself in? Some of you are like, my hot tub. Okay. We all immerse ourselves into something. Some of us is like busy work. Some of us just work. Some of us relationships. What are you immersing yourself in? Let me tell you, the, the, the way to overcome sin is to immerse yourself in the gospel. What does that mean? Remember that whole thing that we have the divine power to demolish? Oh, let's try that one more time. We have the divine power to demolish. Yeah, that comes through the gospel. That's the good news, that you don't have to do it on your own. That Jesus Christ did it for you. Write this down if you have notes. We'll put it on the screen if you don't have a way to take notes. Here's the good news of the gospel. Here's how you immerse yourself in the gospel. Number one is this. Jesus showed me how to live. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to come and live for 30 year, 33 years on this earth? Have you ever wondered that? Why not just have Jesus die with no earthly time and then, then we could go on? But he lived for 33 years on earth. Why? It's to show you how to live. It's to show you how to interact with people. It's to show you how to love people. It's to show you how to forgive people. It's a, it's a way to show us how to live like Christ. That's a part of the gospel. Jesus lived to show me how to live. So we get this example to how to live out the gospel. Man, I'm in this really tough place. I don't know what to do. Remember those silly bands that we used to wear? What would Jesus do? And there's some truth in that, right? What would he do in that situation? Well, sometimes that 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 the um, the situation is super unclear. It's like, all right, well, you know, Jesus didn't have a computer. Okay, well, what do we know about the character of Christ? Well, Jesus didn't have a cell phone. So I don't, all right, but what do we know about the character of who Jesus was? First thing is this. Jesus lived to show me how to live. That's a part of the gospel. The second thing is this. Jesus died to show me my value. I know what some of you are going to say. Listen, I, I thought Jesus died so he would wash all my sins away. Isn't that what the Bible says? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave. What happens when you love somebody? You show them your value by what you do for them. Jesus died for you to show you your value. I don't, I don't know how many people have, have died for you. 
But that's what God sent his son to do. You know what's interesting? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one only son, right, for us. It says not to condemn the world, but to save the world. I think about that word condemned. It's an interesting word. Outside of the church, think about that word. If you think about a condemned thing, right? Something that that no longer has a purpose, a value, no, no longer has a future, and so we tear it down. See, that's... That's what Satan tries to do. He tries to convince us that we have no longer a purpose, a value, or a future, and so you're no longer worth it. And God says, no, 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 no. I want you to know, long before you were born, I want you to know, in spite of everything you will ever do, you were worth it. The gospel is Jesus lived to show me how to live. He died to show me my value. And last is this, that Jesus conquered death to give me resurrection power too. He conquered death to give me resurrection power too. Resurrection power means that you can live life abundantly. Jesus reminds us through the New Testament, right? I didn't come to give life. I came to give abundant life. I was reading uh, this week this this, uh, verse, and we read it this morning in our class on conflict. Great time, by the way, this morning. I loved it. This woman uh, uh, who is caught in adultery. You remember the story in John chapter 8? A woman is brought before Jesus and this group of people. It says that, that the people, they brought her there. They said, all right, what happens? Should we kill her? Jesus said, all right, listen, I tell you what. If you want to kill her, the person who's, who has no sin gets to start. And eventually, nobody is left. And Jesus looks around and he says, all right, who's here to condemn you? She says, Nobody. And he says, well, then neither do I. Now go leave your life of sin. Can I ask you a question? Why would Jesus say that if he didn't think it was possible? See, Jesus doesn't set us up for failure. He sets us up for life. And Jesus died and rose again so that you can have resurrection power in your life too. It doesn't have to haunt you forever. Whatever's been holding you back for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 80 years, it doesn't matter. He gives you the divine power to demolish strongholds in your life. Demolish them. They're gone. See, that, that's the good news. <laughs> That's the gospel. Jesus shows you through his life. He gives you value through his. And through him and his resurrection, you have this resurrected power too in your life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence 
without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed by the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things, through all things, and in all things, both now and forever.